0: Hello and welcome. I'm Stephanie K. Baker-Jones, but you can call me KB. I've been engaged in living over 60 years, and I feel compelled to teach what I've learned in order to be a blessing to others. I am a Black American, a retired Army nurse, educator, author, mother, grandmother, etc. I'm an artist, entrepreneur, and health ministry leader. There are so many things that I want to talk about. That I can't narrow it down to a single topic or industry. Rest assured that you will be educated and entertained. Welcome to KB's World. The first tour into KB's World will be a guided tour of Black artistry. I was born in 1960 in Portland, Oregon, And I grew up surrounded by the beauty of the area and learning about wildlife and painting in late night commercials for the Audubon Society. I loved seeing all of the watercolor wildlife portraits that they would show, and I was mesmerized by the engravings. I would watch with a sense of, wow, if only I could be a part of that, how great would that be? The commercials were always featuring elderly white people who looked like they were well off financially. This was a main factor in my thinking that, although I really loved the content, I feared that it was something that wasn't for a little black girl. Imagine growing up and learning that the man that the Audubon Society was named after, John James Audubon, was a black man. If you Google the Audubon Society, you will learn that it is a US organization dedicated to conserving and restoring natural ecosystems. You rarely see the name John James Audubon, but if you do, that's all you see. The society was established in 1886, which is only 21 years post abolition of slavery. And it was established by a white student, student of Audubon's wife, who was a teacher. So two white people established this society for John James Audubon. But they never tell you that he, in fact, is a black man. So let me tell you who he was and why I want to spread the word that he was a black man. Born in 1785, he was the child of a Haitian mother, and a French father. He was born in a French colony on the island of Santo Domingo, which is now called Haiti. His mother died when he was three years old, so his father, who was a sea captain, took him to France to be raised by his family. Growing up in France, John had a passion for the outdoors and he liked to draw and collect bird nests and eggs. It was 1803, and the French Emperor Napoleon was kicking up dust, starting up a war. And Papa Audubon didn't want his now 18-year-old son, John, to have to fight in it. So he sent his son to manage his farm in Pennsylvania in America. So young John, who was a black man, entered America while slavery was still the condition. Now, he was, first and foremost, a French artist. His father's business failed. No surprise there. Some say that it was due to John spending much of his time exploring the neighboring woods, hunting, and drawing specimens. Although his father's business failed, John created technology that is used today. He did experiments where he banded and tracked birds to learn their migratory patterns. We've all seen those National Geographic programs where the talk about tracking birds for some conservationist gold. When I did a little digging, Audubon is credited with being the first person to band birds for this purpose. But it doesn't shout to the hills that this huge benefit, blessing, was first done by a man of color. Since he was not a businessman, he fortunately met and connected with Lucy Bakewell, who was the daughter of the landowner next to his father's farm, who was white. John was able to take, you know, what we would characterize as a one-year sojourn or sabbatical with his family back in France, and this was when he was 20 years old. During this time, he received permission to marry Lucy. They were married once he returned to the United States at 23 years of age in 1808. Lucy shared his love of the outdoors, and she was a dedicated partner. She took on work as a tutor and as a teacher to give them income as they traveled south to Kentucky. To earn a living, Audubon began to combine his passions, turning them into business ventures. So his success would come in what was his growing interest in drawing and painting. In his words, he had an innate desire to acquire a thorough knowledge of the birds of this happy country. In the following years, John and Lucy had two sons, Victor and John Jr. Because of sporadic business, John Sr. was briefly sent to debtor's prison. Can you imagine? This was in 1819, when the practice of jailing or punishing those that are poor or find themselves in debt was common. Once he was released, he began to create chalk portraits that he would offer for sale. He also began working as a taxidermist in 1820 in Ohio. Now, taxidermy is the profession that uses various techniques to create three-dimensional or stuffed models of deceased animals, primarily for display. You know, beloved pets, hunting trophies, and things like that. Now, Audubon had decided that he wanted to illustrate every bird species in North America and publish the results. He found an assistant who was an individual who specialized in identifying and cataloging insects and plants. They traveled along the lengths of the Ohio, Mississippi, and Missouri rivers. They also traveled the Gulf Coast and much of the Atlantic Coast, gathering specimens and painting. As he was traveling and working, he began to expand his tools from pastels to watercolors. He continued to add other elements, developing a uniquely naturalistic style. Now, up until now, wildlife illustrators only had stuffed birds for their wildlife paintings. These paintings ended up looking, you know, in stiff scientific poses, not really capturing the essence of the dead bird. Enter Audubon Sr., who developed his own method of wiring freshly killed birds in expressive positions then painted them with a rich mixture of elements or components in settings that represented their natural environment and in full life-size representation. At 39 years old, in 1824, Audubon was ready to get his business going, so he took his portfolio and he returned to Philadelphia. He dressed in buckskins and promoted himself as the pioneer his effort wasn't a complete bust because he did attract some significant sponsors, and he also attracted an accomplished artist that offered to give him free lessons in oil painting. But there was a big problem that he faced. <laughs> what could that possibly be? Well, the texts that are available describe a conservative factor that was threatened by the brash newcomer's attitude. I wonder, did he act like he was equal? <laughs> This newcomer had a radically new aesthetic. I can only imagine that even though he was probably very light-skinned, he was still probably notably darker than conventional white people. Which, of course, was not a good look back then. And is only slightly better now, depending on where you live. But Audubon did what many American artists of color would do. He traveled to Scotland and England. So, in 1826, when he traveled, he was met with great success as the American woodsman. Obviously, the value of money at that time was vastly different than now. He was able to sell 200 subscriptions for his proposed complete illustrations of the birds of North America. Each of the subscriptions went for a whole $5, and he collected... In total, the princely sum of $1,000. He also engaged a prominent London engineering firm to produce hand-covered double elephant folio pages that measured over two feet by three feet each. This was all happening for Audubon at the height of Europe's Romantic era, and he did very well. He returned back to America in 1829. He's now 44 years old and he was accepted as a master illustrator. Assisted by his sons, who had also become skilled artists in their own right, Audubon spent the next decade, 10 years, traveling, capturing, and painting new species of birds. In 1838, at 53 years old, Audubon Sr. completed and published Birds of America. It was published in 87 parts. Each containing five engraved plates. There were 435 hand colored engravings depicting 489 species and 1,065 birds. He also published the ornithological biographies, which reflected his observations of bird behavior in the field with a history of each specimen. The success of his masterwork was immediate, and he received deserved fame. He was sought after for lectures to public gatherings, and he was questioned and quoted in the press. He even got to meet dignitaries like President Andrew Jackson. The next few years were fruitful, and Audubon created and revised his edition of The Birds of America with smaller pictures, These pictures were produced using lithography instead of engravings, which was published from 1839 to 1843. John Sr. partnered with John Jr. and they published The Vivaporous Quadrupeds of North America in 1843. This is when Sr. was 60 years old. This work was completed in 30 parts and was published from 1845 to 1848 and is considered Senior's second great work. Now, what in the world is a vivaporous quadruped, you ask? (laughs) So, vivaporous is an adjective, means of an animal. And it relates to or points to being able to bring forth live young that have developed inside the body of the parents. So mammals, animals like black-tailed deer, the fox squirrel, rabbits, dogs, etc. That is a viviparous quadruped. Now, Audubon retired in comfort as he had purchased a 35-acre piece of property on the Hudson River shore of what is now Upper Manhattan. He lived here as he descended into senility and died in 1851 at 66 years old. I just want to ensure that black Americans, children of color, will look up these masterpieces and recognize that the original creators of these amazing masterpieces are people of color, like themselves. Audubon's first edition creations currently sell for as much as $4 million dollars. Our second artist is Julian Francis Abel. Julian Francis Abel was born in 1881, which is only 16 years post the abolition of slavery. His father, Charles Sylvester Abel, was a milliner. This is the person who makes all of those fantastic hats that you see the sisters wearing on any Sunday, but specifically on Easter Sunday or for Sunday brunch. His mother, Mary Jones, was a washerwoman and took in laundry for white families to earn a living. Julian was child number eight out of 11. And, you know, you've got to know that black parents of that day did not play. They had high standards and expected all of their children to become educated, marry well, be successful in business, and carve out a respectable place in Philadelphia's black community. At that time, Philadelphia was a relatively progressive city and there were multiple generations of free black Americans and Quaker schools devoted to black education. One of the ancestors on his mother Mary Jones's side was Absalom Jones, who was the co-founder of the Free African Society and the first black Protestant Episcopal minister. Julian's father unfortunately died when he was twelve years old. Fortunately, he was able to attend the Institute for Colored Youth that was run by the Quakers. Now he excelled in math and won a cash prize of fifteen dollars. Remember, this was eighteen ninety three, so this represented a large sum of money. I sort of played around, and in today's dollars, it would be around three hundred dollars. So he was also a leader and was tasked with giving the commencement speech when he graduated. The title that he chose and spoke about, the role of art in Negro life. Abel continued his education at the Brown Preparatory School and in 1898, at 17 years old, he attended the Pennsylvania Museum and School of Industrial Art. Here, he received a certificate in architectural drawing. He also received the Frederick Graff Prize for work in architectural design. Now, Frederick Graff was a prominent hydraulic engineer of that decade. Julian continued his scholastic endeavors at the University of Pennsylvania, where he earned a Bachelor of Science B.S. in architecture, and he did this in 1902 at 21 years old. Now, he is noted to be the first person of color to earn this degree. Now, he jumps right in and begins immediately by creating designs for a memorial gateway at Haverford College, which is a township in Pennsylvania, and a commemorative tablet for the University of Pennsylvania. So we're still in 1903, makes Julian about 22 years old. So he continued studying architectural design at the Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts, even though he was already considered one of the most skilled architects in Pennsylvania. As he matriculated through, or completed, his studies, he was awarded numerous prizes and exhibited his drawings and received great accolades. His intelligence, great skill, and work ethic earned him the nickname, Willing and Able. He began working in the evenings for a notable Philadelphia architect by the name of Louis C. Hickman. Now, with Hickman's connection, he showed Abel's designs at internationally renowned exhibitions, including the Architectural League of New York, the Toronto Architectural Club, and the T-Square Club in Philadelphia. Now, the T-Square Club was established in 1883, which, again, is only 18 years after slavery. And it was established as an architect's club that sponsored exhibitions, provided student scholarships, and held other types of activities. Obviously, not for black citizens. But luckily, Abel had Mr. Hickman. So in 1903, when he's 22, Julian decided to leave the Hickman firm to travel for a couple of years. On his travels, at least the first part of his travels, he designed a house for his sister in Spokane, Washington, and this was on his way to Europe. Now, there are a lot of contradictory reports as to whether or not he studied in Paris at the Ecole des Beaux Arts and the Sorbonne. The reason why is his name never appeared in any of the school registries, but of course, you know, they didn't necessarily write us down, and... As you'll see in some of the upcoming stories of black artists, when the black artists or black Americans went to Paris or Europe, they were often wholeheartedly embraced by the community and just fell in, you know, working and learning from peers, uh, the other European artists in the area. So even without documentation, Abel's future designs were greatly influenced by both French and Italian architecture. Now, in 1906, when Julian was 25 years old, he returned to Philadelphia, catching the attention of the most prestigious architecture practice in the area, the Horace Trombauer Firm. Little did he know he would be there for the rest of his illustrious career. By 1909, at the still youthful age of 28, Abel was promoted to chief designer of the firm. That same year, he designed a 17th century French Chateau-inspired mansion on Fifth Avenue and 78th Street in New York City that was considered the most expensive residence on Fifth Avenue at the time and is currently the Graduate Institute of Fine Arts at New York University. In 1925, the Republican Party was a supporter of black people, which of course is why it's so tricky to be a part of either party today, but that will be the subject of a different tour. I said all that to say that Abel was considered a Republican and a religious man, even though he did not attend a church because he considered himself a private man. At 44, Julian married a white French woman, 20 years his junior, who makes her 24, by the name of Marguerite Boulle. They had three children, a son, Julian Jr., a daughter, Marguerite, who died at the age of five from the measles, and a second daughter, Nadia. They enjoyed a good life, which included the symphony, the opera, wine, and football games. He made a good living as an architect, despite being underrecognized during his life. He and his wife unfortunately separated in 1933 at the age of 52. A nasty theme, of course, is that Abel designed many important American buildings, ranging from residences and commercial buildings to educational centers and museums. He rarely received credit as the primary architect due to his race, and what usually happened was the credit was just given to the Trumbauer firm's general design team. Among the significant buildings that Julian Abel personally designed are the Widener Memorial Library at Harvard University, the Free Library of Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Museum of Art, and the entire Duke University campus. You heard me, the entire Duke University campus. Now, this project spanned more than 10 years and helped both the Trumbauer firm and, of course, Abel weather the stock market crash of 1929. Now, the portrait of Julian Francis Abel hangs in the hallowed halls of Duke University. I guess it's the least that they could do, since he was not allowed to even set foot on the campus while he was alive because of the segregation. He was finally elected to the American Institute of Architects in 1942 at the age of 62. This is so messed up, since he had been one of the leading architects for four decades, right, a full 40 years. He died in 1950 at the age of 69 from a heart attack. In 1982, Abel was honored at the Philadelphia Museum of Art. In 2002, the Philadelphia Free Library acknowledged posthumously, of course, that Abel was a master architect. Now that you know about the 650 or so buildings throughout the country that express his revival designs that renewed historic styles within the American landscape and architectural traditions, you can check them all out. He was, of course, considered to be one of the most talented architects of the early 20th century, and he was a pioneer Black American architect, and he remains an inspiration in a profession where Blacks are still a minority. John James Audubon and Julian Francis Abel, a master painter, researcher, author, and master architect. These two and all of the upcoming artists can be found in my book, KB's Black History, Volume 1, by yours truly, me. Go to lulu.com. In the search bar, type in KB's Black Heritage, Volume 1, and voila! My book will appear for your reading enjoyment. Please like and follow me wherever you get your podcasts so that you can be notified when I introduce you to the next two amazing Black American artists. Please always remember, if you want to be exposed to relevant education and lifelong knowledge presented the only way I know how, join me next time in KB's World. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you.